Welcome, friend. We are so glad you've joined us to listen in as ordinary people share their extraordinary stories of how one man changed their lives forever. No two stories are the same, yet it's our hope that you'll relate enough to want to meet the same man all our listeners have met. Listen as my friends tell me about a man that gave them hope and love beyond their wildest imaginations. Shelly Scott, welcome to the Tell Me About a Man podcast. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's so good to see you. We haven't really seen each other other than on social media. We have worked together before. If you go back and listen to your husband's episode, Dakota Scott, you'll hear kind of how that whole story. So we won't spend any time on his story. Um, We'll make sure this is all about you. So I like to do a couple of little icebreakers. I'm not sure we did these with Dakota, but I thought these would be fun. Cake or chips and salsa? Oh, chips and salsa, hands down. Yeah. And that's Julio's and some salsa. I'm eating it. Julio's, yes. (laughs) So we used to get Julio's when they were only available in San Angelo, Texas. Like they had their own little store. My husband has family down there. And we would, when we would go down and come back, we would buy loads of it and like freeze the salsa and like you know preserve the chips and so when they started available being available up here in Oklahoma like I know right where to buy them I know what aisle they're on every week (laughs) I think we have a bag every week they sell it at our Sam's down here that was Mm. the best part of moving to Texas was Julio's is now at Sam's now had you known about it before you moved to Texas Mm mm-hmm yeah okay so I had family down in like the Austin Houston area growing up and so they would always get it and have it there. And whenever it came back to Oklahoma, I was like, wait, this is like from my childhood. This is awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's definitely a Texas thing. And Oklahoma people are slowly embracing it. Anyone that's not from either of those areas and you don't have Julio's, I'm really sorry. But I do think you can go on their they website. I don't understand. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, okay, one more. What is something that's on your bucket list? Oh, my gosh. I don't think I have anything outside of being a mom right now. I feel like I can't see past that tunnel. Mm. Um, it used to be running a marathon because um, I was really into running up until I was about 26. Now, I don't know, a lot of travel. We're trying to plan a Washington State, Oregon, you know, something from Virgin River, that kind of scenery. Right. That's what I'm Pacific going for. Pacific Northwest kind of thing. Yes. I love that. That's good. Well, the running, the marathon is still on your bucket list. It's just not at the top of it right now. Not right now. (laughs) You'll do it someday. Okay. So let's jump in. Tell me a little about Shelly growing up, what life looked like, what home was like. Did you know about God? Did you know that there was a man named Jesus? What was he to you? Just kind of let me get to know you a little bit more. Sure. So growing up, um, I had an idea of God. I had a really good understanding of church and God. Um, My family, I grew up with, I refer to them as my adoptive family. Um, And then I have my biological family uh, because I was adopted when I was 15. So my adoptive family, um, really strong in their faith. They have a really good understanding of Jesus and God. Um, And my grandmother in that side of my family um, really instilled in me a lot of Bible stories and a lot of Bible knowledge. Um, so a lot of the things that I know about God comes from those stories that she would tell me when I was little. 
Um, on my biological family side, it's kind of mixy, to say the least, I guess. Um, my biological mom is Catholic. My grandmother was Catholic. Um, my brother is atheist. Um, he was kind of in that 90s grunge Green Day scene that was always right. him angsty teen to the brim um and then my oldest sister who's 16 years older than me was actually the one who would kind of be my mom or take care of me a lot of the times I'd be at my parents my biological parents house but I was really staying with her um and she didn't come to faith in Christ until she was about 21 or 22 um and it was really shallow because it was brand new um but she grew up with kind of a non-denominational perspective of things from that point on in her life. Um, so I had a really different influx of images of God and what that really looked like. Um, but I always knew he existed. And I knew that to me, everyone in my world believed in it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that I always knew that's what was right and what I was supposed to do. But it was really skewed. And I, it wasn't personal. It wasn't mine. Um, and so... Growing up, I would go back and forth, not a whole lot. Um, and once I was about 10 years of age, I didn't really start going back and forth to houses anymore. Um, I remember there was like a really extended period of time. I don't remember how long, maybe like six or seven months where I did live with my biological mom um, and her husband. And I don't really remember a lot about God in that period, but I know that when I did go to church, it was with my oldest sister. Um, and so she was kind of the only really source of Jesus or God that I had at that time. Um, and then going back to my adoptive family, I started really being plugged in in the church that they went to, um, that I attended with them. Um, and then I, when I was about 10 years old, which was kind of weird in the religion denomination that they believe, um, I decided that I wanted to become a Christian. Um, I thought I understood what that meant. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, I had all the knowledge. So, you know, what, what was really holding me back? Um, and so I told my mom, hey, I want to become a Christian. Um, she said, okay, well, this is what that looks like. But are you sure you're ready? Because, you know, you've still got a few years. I was like, what do you mean I've got a few years? Interesting. Um, <laughs> I was like, maybe I've got a few years. She's like, well, you're kind of young. I was like, well, I understand it. So I, I, I guess, okay. Um, and so, you know, then they call the preacher and they're like, hey, where's the student guy? We got to get somebody over here to talk to her. She wants to become a Christian. Um, and so it wasn't like I was welcomed with this, yay, we're so excited that you've chosen this path for your life. You know, this is all we've wanted. This is what we've raised you to do and believe. It was kind of like, oh, wait. Hold on. Are you um, sure? And so I like think, they were questioning yeah. your heart. Oh, it was a lot of questioning. I mean, it was, I, I'm not joking. It was a packet that I got um, to make sure that I was ready, that I knew everything I was supposed to know. Um, and so I was not really unsure, but I was just kind of concerned. Like, why, why is this so hard? Why do I have to mm. know so much? Why is there so many barriers between me and this relationship that I want? And you were like 10 so years accessible. old? And I was 10, yeah. Knowing that something's just not right. It, something was just off. Um, and so after, you know, I think it was like 
a month. Um, I remember my dad put me in the car instead of letting me go to Sunday school that morning. He dropped my family off and we got in the car. Um, and he kind of drove me around and, you know, kind of quizzed me like, what's this first? What's that first? What's that say? He's like, okay, are you sure? You think you're really ready? I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm ready. I want to be a Christian. Um, and so he kind of just gave me his blessing. And so I became a Christian that day. Um, per the church's little, standards. Per the church's standards. Yeah. You became a Christian. That day. Um, I became a Christian that day. Um, so, and I remember it not really being like this exciting thing, which was also like, should have been another red flag, but I was 10. Mm. Um, there was a lot of crying. Like my friends came up to like talk to me and they're all sad. Like everyone's crying, like which is kind of the norm. Yes. Wow. Um, which it was, it was totally the norm from the perspective that I had. Um, Cause you know, I'd been to church camp and anytime somebody had made a decision for Christ, that's what it looked like. Um, you know, you're sad, hugging your friends, crying while they're becoming a Christian. So, um, but I, that's what I knew. So I thought it was normal and I, you know, was happy. I felt refreshed. I felt um, not made new, but I just felt like I finally, like I've been trying to do this. <sighs> like kind of right. just relieved, I guess, um, that it was over. And so fast forward a couple of years, I'm playing basketball. Now don't laugh if you know me, but I'm playing basketball on a league team um, with one of my friends who lives like half a mile down our road. Um, and my mom's an accountant at this time. And so tax season, if you know anything about accounting and taxes, I'm sure you've experienced this, but tax season is just crazy uh, yeah. for the accounting world. So she would work from, you know, go in early, she'd come home late. Um, my dad at the time, I don't remember what he was doing occupational wise, but he was gone a lot too. Um, so I didn't really have a ride. You know, here I am. 13, 14 years old, and I can't. And these are your adoptive parents, back. or your, is this your bio, your adoptive parents? So this is my adoptive parents. I wasn't okay. adopted okay. until I was fifteen, um, so it's pre-adoption, but they have custody of me. Gotcha. Um, so driving me back and forth um, to practice and riding with my friend and her mom, and um, they would just kind of drop me off on their way home, and then a few Wednesdays we would have practice like before a game or a tournament because we couldn't do it on the weekend. And so my mom just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, you can go with them to their church, even though that was never allowed. Like that was like a big no, no. Like if I stayed the night with a friend on a Saturday, I had to come home for church. They would pick me up early and bring me to our church. So a very um, different denomination, even though both denominations would say that they were Christians. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, okay. There wasn't really a lot of service differences in the services um, enough to where like one Sunday was going to be crazy life changing or like weird. Um, but it was it was allowed on Wednesday nights um, whenever I had to have practice. And so mm -hmm. I just started asking a lot of questions. Um, I was really involved in like our school Christian organizations like FCA or, you know, we had fish club. Uh, so those type of things I was always really involved in. So I had some semblance of a different sense of God or a different perspective of God. Um, but when I started going with her and um, riding with her in the car and talking to her mom and just asking some questions, I just knew something was different. Mm -hmm. I knew that what they were saying was not the same thing that I had been told my whole life. Mm -hmm. 
um, it, there was a lot more legalism in getting to Jesus. And there was a define, lot more... For, for the listener, define legalism. Um, so less steps that have to be done in order to attain access. So what, not really rituals. I don't want to use the word rituals. But you know, you don't have to do five things before you can have acceptance right. of Christ or, you know, you don't have uncertainty after you have acceptance of Christ mm. of where you're going to be. Mm. Um, and so that, that part was huge for me. Um, because even as a believing Christian, quote unquote, in what I was raised to be known as Christianity, um, I didn't have that assurance. Like there was no assurance that once I became a Christian, I was going to be with God forever. I was taught that I had to stay faithful until I died. And, you know, if I left the church or I left, I strayed or I wandered for too long, my salvation in Christ could be a question. And I would just have to wait until mm. I died to find out where I was going to go. Wow. And that's so, heavy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. For a 13 year old. <laughs> it was, it was a lot to process. So I, you can imagine this, just like overwhelming grace that I felt for the first time in my life and really didn't even understand fully at the time. But the idea of it's not that hard. Mm. He doesn't ask that much. Um, you don't have to be a hundred percent knowledgeable or know all these things, or you don't have to question where you stand with him at the end of the day. Um, this is what he asks. And this is why it was huge to me. It was new. It was huge. I didn't understand it. Um, so asking all those questions. And then I went to summer camp with them that following year. Um, and I knew enough about God at this point to really understand, okay, I'm going to take a step back because I think I fully get it, but I've mm. been told I fully got it before. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was right. Um, so night after night, you know, I would hear, the lessons all day. I'd hear the sermons at night. I would see the worship. Um, it was just mind boggling to me. Um, and there were two nights where I felt like the spirit was calling me um, to kind of step out in faith and defy everything I know, even though I knew I was probably going to get home and have to either keep it a secret or be ridiculed and told I was wrong for making that mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I did it. Um, you know, I went to my friend and our small group leader and I said, okay, I think I'm ready. And I think this is what this means and what it looks like for me in my life. And she, my best friend was just crying and she said, can I call my mom, please? Were th was this a different type of cry? <laughs> yes, it was, a, it was a different type of cry. Yeah. Right. It was really, it was really awesome. Uh, you know, she was happy. And so we call her mom and I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've decided. And she just cried and she said, me and all these ladies have been praying all week. We've been ready for this. We knew you were probably almost there, but we're so excited. And, you know, they stayed on the phone and prayed with us. And, um, it was different after that. It was not the same as before. Take me to that moment before we go into how it was different. Because before you had to know all these scriptures, you had to do all these steps, mm -hmm. you had to do all the check boxes and have right. someone, some man, man meaning human, not man, right, right. validate that you were ready. What what was different in a sense of at that moment? What what did you know was different when it came to understanding who Jesus was, what he did for you, and what had to change in your heart? So the difference, I think, was that it wasn't their decision; it was mine. 
Mm. You know, I didn't have somebody else to tell me, yes, you are ready. Um, you are now dubbed a Christian. You um, can take this step in your faith, um, according to me and my knowledge and my decisions. It was me knowing what God and the Spirit were leading me to do and me deciding. And it wasn't a question of, are you ready? Do you know everything? It was, the Lord's called you to do this. We're going to stand behind you and help you. Um, and so that kind of community coming around and just really saying, we're here, we support you. Um, no one really being able to make that decision for me other than me and the Lord. Um, so in that point in time, I knew this was a relationship-based mm. transaction almost, mm -hmm. and less of a um, club or a mm. membership that I was gaining mm. um, into some kind of Christianity world. Right. And you're accepting the fact that um, you were a sinner. Absolutely. We live mm -hmm. in a broken world. You can't be in a relationship with God unless you accept his free gift of salvation, which comes through Jesus and his sacrifice and that he died mm -hmm. and rose three days later. And you're like, and finally you're seeing it's not just this head knowledge and all these check marks. You're like, no, really, I need you. And I want to spend my life with you. Yeah. At that point in time in my life, it was definitely not a, hey, I think I need to make a decision um, because I think this is the next right step. This was, I'm broken and mm -hmm. I don't care what this is going to cost. I don't care what this is going to look like when I get home. I'm doing this because I know this is what's right. And this is what I need for my salvation and for eternity. And because if I really love him and if I really want a relationship with him, this is what I have to do. Um, and I'll do it because he's proven it to me on the cross. And that's not fair for me to just sit here because I'm scared of what my family's going to say. So you said it was different this time. Yeah, it was different in the sense of I had that relief um, that I had before, but it was not the same. It was a relief of like, okay, this is my life now. Like I have the freedom to be in Christ. I have the freedom to make this decision for myself. And I truly just kind of let myself go and worship that night. Normally I'd been mm -hmm. taught to just kind of stand still and, um, you know, sing the song and don't be too loud. Don't sing over the person next to you. Um, and so it was completely different. Like I knew that God was within me. I knew that I have the Holy spirit and, you know, I just worshiped him and I didn't care what anybody else around me thought or said or did. And, um, it was kind of like a confirmation that God got accepted, I guess, um, what I had chosen that he was there with me and that I really did have the Holy spirit and that it was, um, a relationship that we were starting and that he was present. Mm, it's amazing. So you get home from camp. Do you keep it a secret? Oh my gosh. I get home from camp and I had to immediately go to a family function and we had talked at camp about, you know, what life looks like after this. If you're really a believer, this is what happens. And, I didn't really believe them, um, but, you know, I'd be excited. I'd want to share and then I'd feel compelled to tell, you know, the great commission of go and make disciples, um, telling everyone. And I'm literally standing next to one of my childhood friends at this event. And she, I know is Catholic and I'm telling her what happened. 
I'm just sitting there telling her, hey, I made this decision for Christ and this is what it looks like. Have you ever made a decision like that? Never have I ever shared the gospel right? or shared my testimony with anybody. I'm like two days fresh of being a Christian and don't really even have a great understanding of it. And so I think that was just another confirmation for me that it was real that time is I couldn't mm. keep quiet about it. Um, and she's just kind of looking at me like, well, I was confirmed when I was like 12 or, you know, something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. Not the same thing. You should look into that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I didn't tell my mom. I told my mom probably, I didn't really have a relationship with my adoptive dad. Um, but I told my mom maybe like a month or so later that like oh. I had done something. I didn't really tell her like, Hey, this is me. I'm new. Like, here's how it's going to be. Um, cause again, I'm still like 14, so I can't drive myself to anywhere. I can't, um, you know, change churches or do whatever. So I just kind of told her, Hey, you know how I'm going to church on Wednesdays with my friend. I think I'm going to keep doing that. Mm. And she's kind of looked at me and we had a saying in our household of, you don't tell me you ask me, um, just mm. kind of like a respect thing. And, so that was really the first time I had said something like that outside of like being angry, angsty teenager. I'm going to the mall with my friends or something like that. Um, and she's kind of looked at me and she didn't say anything. And she was just like, okay. And that was really? it. It wasn't an acceptance. It wasn't a fight. It was just a, I'm just going to let this one not be a battle I pick, I think. Um, wow. And so I, I did. So on Wednesdays, that's where I went. And I think as long as I went with her on Sundays, she was okay with it. Like something somewhere that was okay. Um, Cause she wanted to go to church as a family and that was fine. But then when I started driving, mm. I would drive my, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to church here today. I'm going to go to church here today. Hey, I'm going to church here today. Um, and so every Saturday night, it would kind of be like an anxiety building up. Like, Oh, I have mm -hmm. to tell her. I have to tell her what I'm doing in the morning. And I just knew it was going to be a fight. Um, and usually with her, it wasn't, which was surprising. It was, it was usually when my dad was home on Saturdays that the fight would mm -hmm. begin or, uh, you know, Sunday morning, he'd be like, you're not going, you're going with us, get in the car, um, kind of a thing. And so that was hard. And people in my church knew, I mean, I think most any student pastor could tell you they have kids like that, that come with their friends or, you know, don't always show up every week because families believe different things. Um, and going to church with your family, we stand by that and support that all the time. Um, cause it should be something that you do as a family group, but at the same time, when it's not in alignment with what you've chosen to believe, mm. where do you draw the line of mm -hmm. child, parent, respect yep. and obedience? So that was a really hairy line that I just kind of had to navigate as I went. Um, all the way through graduation. And so after that, when you're an adult, you get to play the adult card, right? You get to make your own choices. And um, at that point, I, I did tell my mom. Um, and I later followed through with um, believers baptism that summer. So that was a big thing for me. Um, I feel like it kind of finally kind of confirmed I am 100%. This is, you know, who I am this is my life. Because um, I'm just gonna just to clarify, that believer, yeah, believer's baptism is your public display. It doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't say it wasn't. Right. It doesn't mean that like from 13 or 14 to when you finally got baptized after graduation that you were not saved. It's just right. you finally made that public profession of to everyone. 
this is what I believe. This is who I'm following. This is the Lord of my salvation. Like, and she got to Mm -hmm. see that. Yeah. So it was kind of like an identity confirmation almost for me because I had made that decision. Um, Everyone around me that knew me knew that. Um, But it it was kind of just like me owning it. And so that was really important for me um, to do that. I mean, you said that your dad was no, like he, he was very much obviously vocally against this. It's interesting that your mom, I just feel like God just gave her a spirit, even probably Mm -hmm. maybe against her own will. God gave her a spirit of just acceptance or, or like you said, not necessarily acceptance, but not, um, one of denial or fighting it either. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how I Mm -hmm. think, I think the spirit can do that to people. Um, to make a way for you to grow in your faith. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, even to this day, she has grown in her faith. um, But she never really put up a fight about it. She never really questioned it. Um, I mean, she saw the difference in me. But of course, as a teenager, I'm sure it came off very boastful and prideful and I'm better than you. So I'm sure there was some resistance right. pushback there. But I mean, she, she never said no. I mean, she knew it was my choice. And um, my brother, even he's younger than me, he's about eight years younger than me. Um, he ended up coming to camp with us when he was in high school. And um, my husband was on staff at a church and he was, he got saved um, at camp. And we told my mom and I was terrified. And I was like, why was I terrified? Like my mom has always been on my side. And even if she didn't 100% align or agree with it, she's never been combative about it. Um, It's always been the other part um, Mm -hmm. to that. And so I think I didn't really have a lot to worry about, but there was tension. There was always tension and like religious differences there. Right. So uh, Shelly goes on to graduate high school. We go into college. Mm. Um, (laughs) How's life looking so far? Good? Oh, well, senior year was fun. Um, (laughs) Senior year was hard. I think I kind of had to grieve that process in my life that I didn't get to have a perfect senior year like I wanted, Um, not for lack of anything bad. Um, Really just that figuring out college part was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Career path, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, so that was set. Um, But it was the money and where do I want to go? That was the hard part. Um, And I wanted to go to a university out of state. That was my top choice. Um, Obviously, I didn't get enough scholarships to do that. So it was kind of shut down. Um, My dad, my adoptive dad at the time, was working at a school um, for a group, um, a singing group. And so because of him, I had a full ride scholarship almost um, to go to the school where he worked. And I didn't want to do that. I did not want to do that. I said, I will stay home and live at home before I do that and go to college here. Um, Wow. College in my town. (laughs) What what was the reason? Did you just not like the school? Was it not your standards? Yeah. So I think that it was just, I didn't turn 18 until after I graduated. So like three weeks before I go to college is when I turn 18. And so that's when I really get to step out and own my faith. And so I think my whole senior year was really just, I had grown a ton in my faith and I was taking it 
not incredibly seriously, um, but more serious than I had ever done before. And so I think seeing that and I was going to church where I wanted to go to church a lot more, that tension had just built. And I felt like at the time, this may not be true, but my perception was this was a last ditch effort to get me to do what they want me to do mm. and to believe what they want to believe. Cause it was a private college where, um, you know, there were things that I didn't believe and I didn't agree with. Um, but that was like, they would still have control over that belief in my life. And so mm -hmm. that resistance met with, that's not who I'm going to be anymore. I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, was really, I am not kidding an incredibly all senior year battle. Um, and so finally I just kind of give up and I'm like, fine, if you're not going to let me do anything else, I concede. I've always been a people pleaser. So I was just like, whatever, <laughs> I'll do it. I'm still going to do what I want to do, but I'll do it. Um, so I tried out for cheerleading to kind of make up the rest of my room and board and went to college and about two months in my, I come home, um, to see one of my chair coaches and go to a basketball game at my high school. And my mom says, Hey, I need you to come home. Um, I got to tell you something. I was like, okay, cool. So I come home and she takes me on a drive and she sits me down and she says, okay, just so you know, I'm leaving your dad. I was like, oh, finally. What? Like, what? <laughs> you're not even heartbroken. You're like, finally, no, thank no. goodness. Finally. It was, it was a long road coming in. Really? Uh, you know, oh, wow. She, she would admit that. So I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. Um, it was just, it was just bad. Um, and mm. she is faithful <laughs> and beyond faithful than I can even imagine. I don't know how she did it. Um, so she stuck with it. Um, she's like, you know, I've really seen a lot change. I've got a lot going on, a lot of dilemmas. And, and this is the one I'm choosing. I said, okay, well, I support you in that. And I'm here, whatever you need. Mentally at the time, I think I was just in freeze mode. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't really know what to say about that. I was just trauma responding and finally got back to college and it just it broke me. Mentally, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just in like a fugue. I had no clue what was going on anymore. I didn't care. Um, I just partied. I was like, forget it. Never had I, I had never touched alcohol in my entire life. I was the good girl that never got invited to parties because I was a good girl. Like they didn't even invite me. I was captain of the cheer team and I didn't get invited to high school parties. Like this is welcome to my life. Um, I love it. And I'm, I'm not sad about that at all. It's just the reality of where I was. Um, so you were, I didn't even, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't even know why I chose to do that, but I did. And so, so you were at, what got rid of it. You were at this college, this private college, I'm assuming it's a faith-based college mm -hmm. that has the same guidelines as the church that your father or your parents are making you go to, but yet mm -hmm. you're partying at this, you found people oh, yeah. at this college to party with. Just a side note for every parent who thinks just because <laughs> Johnny and Sally go to a private oh. Christian school doesn't mean Johnny and Sally aren't no. <laughs> finding their, <laughs> their way in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so not to make light of that, but just 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 saying, yeah. kids are gonna find it. They're gonna do what they want to do, um, and you did. How long did that last? That lasted until February, so about four months. How'd you come out of it? <laughs> Funny story. So February rolls around, 
Um, and that small group leader who had been there whenever I'd made my decision for Christ, um, called me out of the blue. Really? She calls me and she's like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? I was like, uh, I think I had cheer practice or something. I was like, I got to do this. And then I'm probably gonna come back and go to bed. I don't know why. She's like, Oh, well, I'm going to be up around your area. I'm going to an interview for this camp, uh, where I actually went to summer camp with whenever I made my decision for Christ. And I just want to know if you want to get dinner before it's been a while. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess. Okay, sure. Um, so I go to dinner with her and she just calls me. She's like, I'm gonna call you right now. What are you doing? Wow. How do you know what I'm doing? How do you even know? She's like, I just know, I know what's going on and I know what you've been going through. And Mm. I know that's not who you are. You know, are you just struggling with your identity? Are you, do you need help? Like, do you need to go see a therapist? Um, Because, you know, my mom had offered whenever she told me that they were getting divorced. If you want to get in therapy, let me know. Um, But I had never really been in therapy. And so I didn't really understand that at the time. Um, Didn't realize the resource that that would be later in my life or that it should have been at that time. Right. Um, And so I was just like, you know, I don't know. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm thinking. I don't really care. And she's kind of looked at me and said, that's that's not the right answer. I was like, well, that's what I feel. She said, no, I don't, I don't think that is what you feel. I think you're ignoring everything that you know and what the spirit's probably been trying to tell you for a while because you don't want to hear it. And I just kind of broke. I was like, yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, so I did a lot of thinking and a lot of searching and she just checked on me, um, a lot. We probably talked every day for two or three months and I was like, why, why are you up here? You know, did you really just come up? Do you really have like an interview to work at that camp? Or are you just right. telling me that? She's like, no, I, 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 re- I truly do. And I'm going there right now. Why don't you come? And I was like, uh, no, that's weird. What? She's like, okay, well, I'll be up. I was like, no, that's weird. I'm not going to go. And she's like, it's open interview. Seriously, just come. And I was like, why would you want me where I'm at to go do that? And she's mm-hmm. like, well, just come with me and hang out. They're not going to care. I was like, okay, whatever. So I just go and I hang out. Can we just recognize what amazing (laughs) boldness and faith and in touch with the Holy Spirit's discernment this person had to be so bold enough to call you out? And and I'm assuming this wasn't like a social media, she just saw you partying on social media um, kind of thing. No, I did not share it on social media. I knew better than that. So she just knows. And then she's taking a chance of calling you out. And she could have been wrong, right? She... There's a chance she's wrong, but Mm -hmm. she does it anyway. And then she's persistent enough to say, let's find you some help. I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to walk this, walk you through this. But in the same breath, she's like, but let's go to this camp interview and put you around some people. I mean, what were you feeling? Were you relieved? Did you feel shame? Were you embarrassed? Like, what were you feeling like that evening, like at dinner and the conversation and going to this camp interview Mm -hmm. that you had no idea you were about to go to? Yeah, so there's a lot of resistance. I mean, I, but for some reason I just knew. And like she had texted me to go to dinner probably at like two o'clock that afternoon. And I had just gotten back from a class. And so I was like, I'm going to take a nap. And so I almost slept through it. Wow. I legit almost didn't even make it to this thing. And so I woke up and I was like, well, I'm not going to shower. I don't remember the last time I showered, but I'm just going to go. <laughs> so. I love it. Here I go. I don't even, there's no telling what, what I looked like, but 
roll up to this dinner. I was like, I almost didn't come, but here I am. And, you know, the Lord used it. Um, and so I was definitely, I don't really know if I was feeling anything at that point. Mm. I think that's why I just didn't really care. I was like, fine. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Um, when she called me out, I was like relieved. Oh, like, oh wow. somebody sees that like I'm drowning mm. here. I am not what I want to be. This is not what I choose. I mean, I don't know how much longer I would have made it living the way I was. I really don't. Um, but I mean, for her to kind of offer that helpline of, I'm not even going to make you say it. Mm. I already know. Um, like what a true reflection of Jesus yeah. that was in that moment for me of, I don't even have to tell him, you know, he already knows he's already there. He's already seen it and he's, he doesn't care. Wow. Man, I can't help but think of the woman at the well when he tells her, you don't have a husband. Actually, you've had, and like he, like you said, he already knows. Like he, and didn't make her say it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a whole nother talk in itself. I love that. I'm just, we're just going to take that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll visit that some other day on another show somewhere. Cause that's good right there. That's good. It's <laughs> good. Well, kudos to her. I mean, and then going to the interview is great. And did yeah. you end up getting a job? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they put us in like this big room and, uh, you know, I had applied like on the way over there, I think. And um, just because I was like so worried that they were going to be like, you're not allowed to be here. I'm such a people rulesy right. person. It's amazing. I ever even partied. Um, so get there, get in. And they're like making us do this group activity, which we thought was just busy work while they were like pulling people out into interview rooms. But it was actually part uh -huh. of the interview. Um and so I guess they liked how I organized name tags or something because they fooled me in a room. Um, and they're talking to me like, so you got any of these skills? I'm like, well, I am lifeguard. And they're like, great. We need like 12. You're hired. Can you tell us your testimony? I was like, yeah, sure. So I tell them my testimony. And then they're like, okay, here's all the information. Here's the background check. Here's how you need to, you know, here's the code of conduct where your life needs to be before you show up. Um, and so I think having that accountability of, oh, crap. Like, oh, wait, I've got to. I have to get it together because I've just committed to this. My small group leader already knows. Um, like the Lord's literally opening a way for me wow. to get out of this That's hole awesome. that I'm in and I've got to take it. So I took it, went to work at the camp and it was like a whole, it was a whole summer thing. So you live there um, all week, stay there for like two and a half months. Um, you know, you're in a group, you're in a small group, you have worship Um so you do all the things that I just needed in that moment, in that season of life, of being surrounded by believers, being allowed to be broken and be mm. built back up. Um, and that community was just like pivotal for my faith. And I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know where I would be without that That's moment amazing. in my life. Has your mom ever questioned and asked you to compare her faith to your faith? She hasn't asked. Um, we're not really the asking type of family. I say we. My mom's family is not really the asking type of family. Um, it's kind of more ignore it, it'll go away, sweep it under the rug. Um, we, we've gotten a lot better about it over the years. Um, but I think that there's not a lot of exposing that goes on. And so I think to bring it to light or to speak it into existence that we are different, even though it's clearly evident now um, and, you know, they'll come to church with us when they're down here. We'll 
still go to, I go to church with them whenever I go visit them. If it's, you know, Wednesday or Sunday, not out of anything, but just respect. Mm. Like she knows what I believe. I know what she believes. She still asks questions. Um, like she'll ask me like, Hey, do you have any Bible studies about this? Oh yeah, I've done one on that. Here you go. I think this is a good one. Um, you know, and we'll talk about it, but it's never been a, Hey, why, why, why did you choose that? Or how are we different? Um, now I do know, and I don't know if she knows that I know. She's going to know I now. I do know that at one point in college, <laughs> she's going to know now. Uh, at one point in college, she went through my quiet time oh. journal. Um, so like the, the journal that I keep from my notes when I read my Bible every day. And I do it to where like I write down what I read and then I write like what I felt God was trying to tell me through that or what it meant to me or maybe just personal Bible study of, hey, this is what the Bible is going through and wherever I read. Um, and then at the end, I usually just like bullet point like, hey, this is what I prayed for at the end. And I don't go into detail. I'm not like, Joanne's grandma's right. cousin's left right. hip is in the hospital. Yeah. I just put like mom, mom, right, sister, brother. Um, and so I, her name was popping mm. up a lot, I guess. And that made her mad. Um, I don't know why, but it made her mad. I guess it felt hypocritical, I think is what she said, actually. Um, I mean, we moved on from that. I don't know if that was just a a fluke deal or what, but there was definitely some hurt and some mm. tension there for a while um, after that. I don't know why it hurt her that I was praying for her or if what I wrote mm. upset her. Um, but there was definitely some hurt there. But now we pray for each other all the time and good good. so i feel like we could wrap it up right there and your story about jesus would totally change someone's life but can't be can't be done there so what are um you know you go to this camp i'm assuming somewhere you meet dakota um and i think i remember part of the story about this guy walking in a room and it was like, so you'll have to tell us that. Um, and then maybe fast forward into one or two things that have you've maybe walked through since truly having a relationship with Jesus and um, how, how it's been different because of your relationship with Jesus. So I met Dakota at camp, my husband, and I was not interested in dating at the time. And I just made really good friends um, with a girl in my room. And we were like best friends from the moment we met. And so we're just, you know, off gabbing and talking and in he walks and her, my best friend at the time and her other friend who I had just known, um, we're like, oh, you got to meet our friend when he gets here. He's hilarious. Oh, ha ha ha. Dakota would love that joke. And I'm like, who right. is this guy? Like, y'all need to shut up. He's not even here. Um, this isn't funny to anybody but you guys. I felt left out. I was so hurt. Um, <laughs> and so he walks in. And we're in line in the cafeteria and he's like, hey, I know you, pointing, hey, I know you, kind of waving at everybody, like typical jock in the cafeteria, walking in, I've arrived, everyone look at me, I know everybody here, why don't you know me, like movies you see of people walking in the club when they're like nodding at everybody, that was him. So he walks over to talk to my friend and his friend, our mutual friend, and He's like, hey, y'all do not smell very good. And she's like, well, we've been in a lake all day doing drills and getting ready for students. So we probably don't smell very good. We probably smell like lake. And he's like, well, I don't know you, 
but I had a Boston Red Sox like headband uh-huh. sweatband on and the I guess the Boston bee was like backwards or upside down or something. And he's like, I don't know you, but you're offending me right now. You've got to turn your headband around. Oh, wow. So not only has he offended y'all by saying you smell, now he has questioned your team. (laughs) Yes, questioned my loyalty. And I'm like, "Uh, yes, sir. Actually, I am. And I'm like ready to list off the whole roster and like get into it with him. And I'm just like, I'm not even going to do it. It's not worth my time. So I just like fix my headband when he's not looking and walk away. And I'm like, Kaylee, I don't know who you thought I would like or if that was him, but y'all can hang out by yourself. I'm not attending. So probably six or seven weeks later, I was hanging out with one of our mutual friends and he weaseled Mm. his way in there and now we're married. (laughs) I love that story that he just like walked in and because I have another friend who actually her husband is a pastor also and he was a baseball player. So there's this stereotype that I have in my head of these extremely um, confident um, yes, (laughs) baseball players. Um, And so it's just funny. He has humbled a lot since having three yes. girls. Yes, yeah, between a wife and you three know, daughters, I'm sure he is. Um, and I'm sure they will um, probably bring someone home that will help him maybe see himself in a different light. <laughs> probably. Great. That's great. Probably. That's Marry great. your father. You know, I mean, where's the time? Just share, um, you know, maybe one or two stories um, while we've still got a little bit of time left. Uh, just where God has just really been with you in your walk um, and some struggles or, or maybe sometimes that you've even had the question, Jesus, are you real? And um, am I, am I alone or not? Yeah. So I think uh, like one that really just stands out in my mind is probably four or five years into our marriage. Um, I had just had our daughter, our oldest daughter. Um, and we had already kind of been through like a distant season me and my husband, um, because when we were dating, um, we started out dating for like a year, like two hours apart. So long distance dating because we were both in school. Um, and so I didn't transfer till our junior year. And so that was a a lot of distance. And then I transferred junior year. We got married right before our senior year. Um, and so after he grad, after he graduated, um, that whole summer and probably, I don't know, almost a year, he worked literally like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. sometimes later, six days a week. Um, And then on Sunday, when he didn't have to work, he was on staff part-time at a church, and so he was working still. It was a different type of work, but still, he didn't really ever get a break. So I think Mm -hmm. that that distance really put a lot of tension on our marriage, even though we were married. we didn't really see each other a whole lot. Um, and that was hard, not only for him, but for me too. Um, and so then right after I had our daughter, we moved, um, which was, you know, a good blessing. He got to be on staff at a church full time. And, um, I stayed home with our daughter for a little while while I was trying to figure out if I was going to go back to work, where I was going to work. And, um, so I felt really alone in that time just because I didn't know anybody and I didn't have any friends my age. And, Um, my family on my mom's side was going through a whole lot with my sister. And so there was just a lot of disconnect and I felt like isolation. Um, and so I really struggled not only, you know, with postpartum depression, but, you know, postpartum, everything being a new mom, 
Um, but also that just a depression that I'd had before just really creep back up. And so that aloneness, I feel like once mm. it sets in, it's like concrete. Like you feel like you can't get out of it. You know, the more you move, the faster it's drying. And so I don't know, it was so hard. And that whole year of him not really being home when we worked when he worked full time every day prior to had really just put a lot of stress on our marriage. And so I think I took all of that anger of this is not what I want marriage to look like. Like this is this is not what I signed up for. Um, and now, you know, you're full time on staff at a church, but I feel like you're still gone just as much. Like this is not fair. This how am I supposed to raise a daughter like this? Like so much resentment that the enemy really just let me target at him. Um, and not that it was, you know, his fault or his doing or his choosing or intentional out intentionally doing it. Um, that's just how I felt in my perception of things at the time. And so, you know, I, we were probably a year into it and I'd kind of adjusted and I was working. And, um, when I was working, I had shift work cause I worked at our urgent care. And so those hours didn't align with ministry. So I was excluded even more. Um, cause you know, we were open seven days a week. So that meant Easter Sunday, I'm working. That meant during camps or during mission trips, you know, I would have to pick and choose what vacation time do I take to be involved in the ministry that we have always agreed we're going to do together. We're going to do as a family. We're going to let our kids be involved. This is not going to be daddy's job. This is our life because ministry is who we are as Christians, not just our jobs. And so that didn't align. The, the Lord was not letting that align. And I remember crying just, and it was like a 30 minute drive home from work um, to where I lived. And I just cried and cried the whole way home. And I was like, God, why, why are you putting me in this position when you've called me to this position? Why is this happening now? Like, why have you isolated me from everything I know? made it literally impossible for me to try to even be involved in my marriage, let alone a ministry that my husband's pouring his heart and soul into. And I know you've called us to do this. Why do you, is it me? Am I the problem? Like, is my walk not good enough? Am I, and I went back to those legalistic things that had been drilled into me of you're not achieving enough. You're not doing enough. You haven't, you know, done the right steps. So you're not worthy. And so that feeling of self-doubt and having no self-worth at all in my marriage and my identity and my faith just really left me stranded and felt like I was alone. And so all that resentment built up. And I was like, you know what the answer is? God's not going to help. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it into my own hands. And that's always where it goes wrong. But I was like, I'm, I'm done. I am done. Mm-hmm. And so I just sat down with him. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I want out. Figure it out. I'm done here because this isn't working. This is not what I signed up for. And I seem to be the only one mm-hmm. putting in any effort, which was not true. It was just my perception. And, you know, if you can't make this work for me, then I'm not going to make wow. it work. And so that resentment had just overflowed into this monstrosity of what I'd let the devil just feed into me of the whole mindset of if, if he can't get a hold of my husband, he's going to use me. Mm. And if he gets my husband, he gets the church. And so that warfare of just, holy cow, what, 
did I just implode on not only me and my husband, but on the body that we are serving right now. Like this is not even fair to them. And through a lot of, you know, just praying and counseling and pouring into some people that I had close to me who I knew were pastor kids or pastor wives um, and opening up to them and just saying, I, I quit. Like I, I need you guys mm-hmm. to step hold in staff and just hold my hands up, you know, be, yeah, hold it for me because I can't do it. I know that I was mm-hmm. called to this, but right now it's hard to believe. It is hard to stand on that enough for me to have the strength to do it. And I just didn't anymore. And thankfully, you know, the Lord used them to restore me and the Lord used them to speak to me and to pour life into me and to restore our marriage and my trust in the fact that we are called to this. This is who we're supposed to be. And, um, you know, this is how you're supposed to walk. It may not feel like it in every season and your seasons may look different. It may not look like you're in the, in the weeds with everybody right now. You may not be serving hands on, Mm. but it's your job to fight for your husband and for his clarity and for his mentality and for his protection. And you're the only one that can do that because you know him better than anyone else. And nobody knows him like you do. They can pray for him. You may think they're, you know, more worthy or more, uh, you know, spiritually developed. And so that Mm. their prayers will get to me better, but they're not going to. That's not how it works. And so having that humbling of, I am, you know, it it was like salvation all over again of that mindset of I am not worthy, but he lets me, I am not, there's no reason why I should be allowed to do this, but he lets me. And so taking hold of that, God's letting me do this. So I'm going to take responsibility for it. And I'm going to treat it as such, like it's been handed to me from God and just letting that be my ministry. Um, it was really hard, really, really hard. But we made it. You sought counseling as a couple, and have you sought counseling as an individual also? And individually. Right. And and I mean, the importance behind that on so many levels, and we had kind of chatted about this before hitting the record button, um, and it's a part of my story too. Like, there is so much um, that the world slash or aka the enemy throws at us, and to walk through that alone is impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't have the community of believers yeah. around us um, organically or, you know, for free or that like you have to be intentional to go find that help. And sometimes it requires a professional, someone who either has experience or, you know, the education and the knowledge to help us walk through that. And that is huge. Like, I just can't even stress enough. And I'm so proud of you guys for saying, and not just like, oh, we did six weeks of marriage counseling and we're fine. Like it's, I continually have to work on myself and work on my walk and work on, it's not just showing up Sunday morning and hearing a sermon. It's Mm -hmm. continual work Monday through Sunday, you know? And I don't think that mental health is um, something that we take well as Christians, because we want to say that, you know, And I do believe that God can do everything and he can heal everything. But just as we need the scripture to help develop our faith, sometimes we need counseling to help our mental health, just like we need the scripture to help our faith. Because as broken as we are as sinners, Mm -hmm. the way I was raised and the things that I've been Mm -hmm. through in my life, my sin has made my mind just as broken. And so I just need a little more help to get to the other side so that I can be 
I strongly encourage, God. I would assume you do too, and is a Christian counselor, because one that is on the same page when it comes to beliefs, when it comes to, you know, Holy Spirit discernment, when it comes to all those things, I strongly mm-hmm. push that for people. Um, and, and, you know, I may get some backlash on that, but it is what it is. And um, I had somebody tell me one time, not very long ago, that um, if, if someone needs a counselor, then they must not be, they must not have a great relationship with God. And I, that is so hard because here's the deal. I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And no. God doesn't just speak to us through scripture and through worship. He also speaks to us through other people. And if Gloria, my counselor, who's like, I call her my hired grandmother, like, like if God's going to use her to speak truth into me, why would I, you know? And so what would you say to someone who maybe is a believer, but they're thinking, let's just say not maybe, they're, they're a believer, they're a born again believer, mm-hmm. they have a relationship with Jesus, but yet they are walking through something, but to them, the word mental health means weakness and to have a counselor or a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or some some right. hired professional, they see that as a weakness also. What would you say to them? Yeah, so I think that the stigma around mental health, and I actually worked in a mental health facility for a couple of years, and so the stigma around mental health is, it's just bizarre to me that we are so taboo about the topic as believers. Um, and the world today obviously is accepting of a lot of things, but um, is a lot more accepting of the fact that you can be struggling mentally mm-hmm. and still be a believer. Like it's not one or the other. It's not mental health is putting you in the crazy bin or you need medication anymore. It's just, and I, I say this to kids who are scared to go to counseling, but it's literally just tools. The same way that I would disciple someone who's a new believer to have a prayer life, to know how to read their Bible, to know how to walk with the Lord, to take sermon notes, to be involved in that community, what a healthy relationship looks like. That is the same thing. It's the same thing in mental health. They're just giving you tools to help you understand how to survive. Just like I give you tools in discipleship to understand how to survive the Christian walk. It is the same thing. They go hand in hand. It is not any less um, unacceptable or it doesn't make you a sinner. I've, I've had kids who are, you know, really standoffish about counseling because they feel like it makes them look bad or like they have, um, you know, bad thoughts or they do bad things and that's who that's for. No, it's, you know, sin is a broken this world. And as a result, unfortunately, a lot of it happens to us before we're the age of 18. But as a result, we've been raised in a broken world. And so it makes sense that parts of your mind have been hurt or broken as a result of the brokenness that you've lived in. And so just like we use the Bible and other scriptures and small groups and other believers to help breathe life into us and breathe us, bring us up, um, it's the same way with counseling. And so it's just tools to help you learn how to get around your brokenness and how to get around the thoughts that the enemy is going to use against you. So what is one last thing or one last thought you might have for someone who's um, listening who doesn't um, have a relationship with Jesus? I would just say search why. Um, a lot of times it's typically because of a church hurt, a family hurt, um, or you know just something that's happened to you in your life. And I, I feel like at this point, um, you know, there's if you've listened to a lot of Gina's podcast, you've heard testimony after testimony of what he's done for all the people and what he's done in their lives 
and through their brokenness, despite their brokenness, despite all the things that have happened to them. And it's, it's the same. I mean, he can do it for anybody. It's not just the people who know enough or the people who can be good enough or prove that they're worthy um, or make themselves clean enough to get to him to become a Christian. It's for anybody who wants to accept that what he did for you was love you and choose you. And all you have to do is choose him and love him by showing him that you want to be obedient to what he's called you to do and that the life that he has for you is way better than all that brokenness and hurt. You're still going to have, you know, sin impact your life, but it's so much easier when you have that community of believers and you have God on your side and you know that your salvation is secure in him so that whatever you face, you're not alone. You know, you have him and he's always going to have your back. Perfectly said. Shelly, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable. Um, I know that um, some of the stuff we touched on is not always easy. Um, it's um, not always comfortable, but I have said it a million times and I will say it a million more. The greatest things happen outside of our comfort zone and God uses them in a mighty way. And so I appreciate you um, mm -hmm. allowing God to use Absolutely. you and your story in a mighty way and not just to bless people um, here on earth, but to make changes for them um, in the kingdom. Thanks for having me. It was fun. My dear friend, I want you to know that this man, Jesus, my guest spoke of, is relentlessly pursuing you at this very moment and longs to love you unconditionally, no matter your story. There's no fancy prayer or special words, just believe, trust, and surrender. We've listed several free resources in the show notes to help you begin your relationship with Jesus and to walk in His truth and love today and for eternity. And to my brothers and sisters, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to continue to pray for our guest and all who listen to this podcast and to go tell others about a man that changed your life forever.